Okay, it's good to see everybody. Uh, I like that. And you know, I guess the lesson to that is, uh, for all of us, is you want to be sure and hear the word of the Lord, no matter if whomever the Lord would use to give you the word of the Lord, even if it be a donkey, right? That happened in the Bible. Donkey spoke to a prophet. So uh, I am glad to be here today. I always enjoy coming and being here with you guys. And uh, uh, I'm not going to go very long today, hopefully. Those are usually the famous words of the preacher, right? <clears throat> you know, uh, I love reading news and like Googling things, and I don't know if y'all read this or not, but uh, last Thursday, they, they have built a $500 million casino in Atlantic City, a hard rock casino. And last Thursday, they put up the 30-foot, uh, they have a guitar that's 30 feet tall, and it's built like a Les Paul guitar, and that's going to be the, the staple where people will see it. When they got the guitar up, it has like a, a treble and a rhythm, you know, the, like the Les Pauls have the, by the way, great job, y'all. You know what I love about this church? You never know who you're going to get on Sunday, but it's going to be good. And that's a team. Clay's building a team, and that's what you want in worship's a team. And then when somebody's gone, everything doesn't fall apart, right? But anyway, on the treble switch, <clears throat> Whomever they chose to do this, they misspelt after they got it up and they looked at it. They misspelt rhythm. True. And they had to uh, hurry around because it was all over town, you know. They put an E in rhythm. That guy, unfortunately, was fired on the spot that was in charge of that, but the administration has reached out to him to see if maybe he could help with the immigration problem. <laughs> Y'all didn't think that was funny at all, did you? You know, I told my wife, I said, uh, you know, we're trying to figure out who the mothers and the children are. I said, they need to just load those buses up and take those moms and let them in the building. I promise you within 30 seconds, they'll know who all the mothers are. <laughs> Moving right along, but anyway, when you get old, you kind of get a little cynical and get to where you almost want to cuss a little bit. You have to watch yourself. So anyway, and if you do cuss, everybody says, well, you know, he's just... Uh, just a little demented. When I was at OBU back before, when Noah and I, we were in the same Greek class together, uh, a man, I'm not going to tell you his name, but a man uh, was on the board of trustees from kind of down in this area, and he came up and spoke to the ministerial alliance one day, and he was the pastor of a large church, and he's on our hospice services where I work, and last Friday he beat our aid up. He's 101 years old, and he beat our aid up and gave her a cussing. And that was hard on, that's hard on people to understand, but I always tell people, without the Holy Spirit and clarity, uh, when our mind gets cobwebbed and everything, uh, that's where grace comes in, right? Because I know in his heart he would never do that. But anyway, that's beside the point. Okay, here we go. And uh, in Matthew 18, Jesus and Peter have, uh, Matthew 16, sorry, uh, Jesus and Peter have this conversation. And uh, Jesus asked Peter, who do you think I am, you know? And he said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Great, greatest declaration of faith you can make. And so Jesus said to Peter, you're exactly right, Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the governments of hell shall not prevail against it. 
That's interesting. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. I don't know if you know this or not, but 59% of all churches in America have between 7 and 99 members. 59%. Tom Rayner, who is uh, kind of the head of Lifeway, uh, estimates this year that in America there will be between 8,000 and 10,000 churches close. I know a, a church right now that has a gorgeous building and has everything you, has, the church has everything it would need to do the work, but they just can't get the people involved and they can't get the community involved. And that church is probably six months away from default. They've done a lot of surveys and they're asking people in America why do you not go to church anymore? It's amazing, the number one reason. Ed Stetzer and uh, the Malfour Research, the Pew Foundation, George Barna, uh, all these people have said this. The number one reason people do not go to church is they feel like the church is not relevant to their life. Now, isn't that a shame? that somehow people don't go to church because they don't feel the church is relevant to their life. But yet we look at our society and things seem to be declining and toppling and suicides at an all-time high, division in homes, all this is going on. But people in the church undoubtedly in their own mind can't find relevancy. And by the way, uh, I want to just clarify today that this is a, this is on us and not on the Lord. You know what I mean by on us? Somehow, we have not made the body of Christ relevant. Not relevant. There's a guy by the name of uh, Ray Johnson. He pastors, uh, he, he actually was a founding pastor of a church called Bayside out by Sacramento, California. They have 12,000 people on Sunday morning. And uh, he wrote a book not too long ago called Jesus called, and he wants his church back. And Jesus is calling today. He wants his church back. He wants his place back in the church. Have you ever had an ice cream cone without ice cream in it? That's how church is without Jesus. There's no goody and nothing sweet at all. It's just structure and hull. And so when people look at my community, your community, and this is not just for Cornerstone, this is for all of us today, Jesus wants his church back because the church is his body and he wants his place back in the church. And you know what his place is? He's the head of the church. It's not a human institution. It's his church. And the reason he can say it's his church is he bought it by his blood and purchased it. We haven't done that. I haven't resisted unto blood. You know, I used to, you know, we call it the Monday morning syndrome. Preachers are either sky high or, or floor low. Usually around how many people were in church, how big the offering was, buildings, budgets, baptisms, and 
but I'm sorry, I, did I say that? I didn't mean to say that. Anyway, and so they have this, this great uh, either down or up, and I, I used to have a friend every time, I'd, he'd say, how things are going? I'd say, oh, not too hot. He said, well, you haven't resisted under blood yet, have you? And by the way, I'm sorry about that word. It just popped out, but anyway. <clears throat> Y'all forgive me? We haven't resisted under blood. You know, the first experience I ever had with really understanding how humanized the church can be was my first full-time pastorate in 1973 in El Reno, Oklahoma. I was 23 years old, and I've already told you all I knew everything. I had a nice mullet, and I uh, was happy. I'd you know, gotten some school, some seminary over, and I was just so happy to be in my first full-time church. The first night when they had called me in January 1973 to be their pastor, they decided to, they called them pounding back in those days. You remember what I'm saying, you know, church poundings. Well, they had a pounding for the preacher, which I wore a helmet, but I realized later what it was. It was a food deal, but I've, been, I've had some poundings in my life. But never. Anyway, we go to the fellowship, and we're just having a ball. You know, Jamie's a little bitty girl, and she's standing up on all the tables, and all, here's all the pounding stuff, and Frankie, you know, gorgeous Frankie over there. I, sometimes I get that picture and think, dear Lord, thank you, I knew what I was doing. So anyway, <clears throat> we got a picture of that night, and my beautiful wife there and our little girl, and a man walked up to me. His name was Ansel Wright. Yeah, put that name on this tape. Ansel Wright. He was the head of the deacons. And he walked up to me, and he said, Brother Croson, never can get it right. My name is Ansel Wright, and my job is to make sure you do your job. <laughs> I didn't fluff my mullet a little bit. You know, I kind of had to, kind of made my hair stand up a little bit. For the next five years, I understood what he meant. Unfortunately, his best friend was my neighbor at the parsonage I lived in, so he was always checking on me, making sure I was okay, knowing what time I came in at night making sure my yard was mowed, making sure electricity lights weren't left on upstairs because the church was paying the, the, the electricity bill. On and on and on and on. And I realized there that one man, now listen, this is serious stuff, one man can detour the process of God. He was against everything. He's like the guy who said, the pastor came and said, I would like for us to buy a chandelier for the foyer. And Brother Johnson said, I'm against it. He said, Brother Johnson, why are you again? He said, well, if we had one, we wouldn't, Martha couldn't play it. She's limited through the organ. And number two, what the foyer needs is more light. Now, unfortunately, I have to tell you this about Ansel Wright, God's gift to make sure the church went okay. Not too long after I left there, he got up and gave a testimony and fell over dead in the pew. True story. Just boom. One of the deacons there was a guy named Daryl Dye, and he was real big in the Federal, administration, uh, federal Aviation Administration. That's why he had moved there to work there. So I, we were talking to Daryl. I said, Daryl, I, uh, I understand that Ansel died after giving his testimony in church. And he said, he sure did, Brother James. He said, can I tell you something? I said, yeah. He said, I did CPR on him, but I don't think I gave it my best shot. <laughs> Isn't that a classic? I didn't give it my best shot. They'd had about all the Ansel they wanted 
But I learned there that the church, even though it's supposed to be a divine institution, can truly be a human institution. And people, you know, David Maine wrote a book, and, and uh, let, let me tell you all what happened to me. I studied all day yesterday, spent three or four hours writing stuff down. This morning I got up and Frankie was having her coffee. I said, honey, I am so confused. Uh, I'm more confused than a goose in a hailstorm. I said, I've spent all day and this is just not right, so I just kind of thought I'd come down here today and wing it with y'all, okay? I mean, I got some notes, but, and I put that, I'll have to put that uh, deal in a baggie and put it in the refrigerator. Keep that message fresh. <laughs> we operate by the flesh or by the spirit. The church is alive and Christ is the head of the church and what, a, what an affront to me as a Christian for people in my community to say the reason they don't come to, to the church I go to in McAllister over there at Central Christian where Brother Scott's a pastor. By the way, I'm an elder in that church now so I'm excited about that. Um, I told them my anointing is to tell them how not to do it. So how can people in my community the guy that lives next door to me, who is from Pakistan, the guy who lived next to me, who's from China. And how can these people uh, look at the church and say, it's so irrelevant to my life? There's something wrong, folks, and it's not on God's end. I think the problem is, is that we're never going to be relevant by trying to be relevant. We're never going to be relevant by changing the mandates of this book or the personage of this book or the orders of this book. You know, back in the second part of the 20th century, there was a man by the name of John Hick who was a great philosopher and a great scholar. And he developed what he called the pluralistic society. He started all this thought. And he said, you know what? He said, we need to all get along. We need to have a pluralistic society. But the only way we're going to be able to do this, now this is what he really said, is to take Jesus out of the center of everything and make God the center. Because everybody will talk about God and get along. And we've seen that develop to where, let me, I always ask people, if you pray in the name of Jesus Christ at the end of a prayer, who's narrow and limited if that offends somebody? They can pray however they want to, but it seems like the name of Jesus has a stigma on it. You know why? Because the Bible says, in His essence, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells. He's the head of the church. He's the creator of the universe. God said to the Word, let there be light, and the Word gave the Word, and there was light. It says that in Colossians 1, that Jesus is the central figure of creation. So Mr. Hick wanted to somehow dissolve Jesus out of the equation of religion. And you know what? We have watched that happen. There's something about, you know, Lester Sumrall, when he was praying for that little girl in the Philippines, he said when he used the name of Jesus, that now this is what he, you can read this stuff. There were people watching this because they were scared to death of this girl. When Lester Sumrall was praying for this girl, this girl, this little Filipino girl, spoke in perfect English and cuss the name of Jesus as if it were a person, he said. That's because the Bible says that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Why? Because he's the relevance and the document of Christianity. You know, we get kind of confused. It's like the guy that went to church and was gloriously saved, and then he went back to church the next week, and he called his wife. He said, honey, I'm so confused. 
said, what are you confused? He said, that preacher this morning talked about how we need to have a better self-image. And tonight, this older preacher talked about how we have to die to ourselves. He said, what do we do? Improve it or kill it? And you know, that's some of the confusion. We've humanized. Listen to this. We've humanized Christianity. We've made it about us. We've made it about feeling better. Let me tell you, you read the Gospels and you follow Jesus. Just get in the Gospels and follow Jesus and you'll find it wasn't a very comfortable journey. Now, am I advocating discomfort? Oh, I hate discomfort. I hate conflict. But let me tell you, Jesus came not to set peace on the earth, but a fire and a sword. And His relevance to us today is going to be the central part of whether we make it or not. I'm talking about Christianity. We need some more of those people like... Uh, my little buddy that I've been reading about, Benjamin Lay, who was a Quaker. By the way, y'all know why they called them Quakers? Man, that's hard on me, isn't it? Y'all know why they called them Quakers? Because when they got together, they'd all get together like we are today. And nobody would speak until they started quaking. And then whoever started quaking was the speaker, and they'd come up. Now, let me tell you, folks, that's scary because I've been in some meetings. I could tell you who's going to shake first. But anyway, <laughs> moving right along. But they really would wait on the Lord. That's what they call this little man named Benjamin Lay, who saw the relevancy of Jesus in his life and who wanted to make a difference in his world, didn't become relevant. He went to the meeting of all the Quakers and said this, You bunch of hypocrites, we are wearing cotton clothes and using dye and doing all these things that slavery is supporting. We need to cut ourselves off. And he wrote 200 pamphlets on the terrible parts of slavery. He challenged every Quaker to quit having anything to do with slavery. You know how uh, big Benjamin Lay was? He had a spinal condition. He was four feet tall. You can, you can Google him. He's four feet tall, but he was a man, a giant with God. He confronted it. John Woolman wouldn't wear cotton clothes. They, well, he'd grow his own cotton. And wear co he wouldn't wear co uh, commercial cotton clothes because it was a product of slavery. And 25 years after John Woolman made a stand, there was not one Quaker in America that owned a slave. That's what you call relevance. And you know where that relevance came from? A determination in the heart to face the opposition in the, in the cross. Jesus said you have to take up your cross and follow Him daily. We're never going to be relevant by trying to be relevant, by being culturally accepted. The church is counterculture. The church sees injustice and countercultures the injustice. The church sees the, a community and gets involved in a community. I was driving along about three or four months ago, and I just caught out of the corner of my eye a church. And it had this sign, We Love Sinners. Of course, it's plastic. You know, everything's plastic now, and then if somebody has a different idea, you just rip it off and put theirs up. But anyway... We used to have to write things in stone, but anyway. You heard about the guy who uh, preached terrible the first three weeks he's at his church? And they came up to him and said, man, you did terrible. But after the third week, you really straightened up. He said, that's because y'all put my name out there in the marquee in chalk. And Deacon Johnson played with an eraser the first three weeks I preached during the service. <laughs> so anyway, that's the way. But it says, we love sinners. And I thought, oh, I'd love to have that sign and to be a pastor of a church. I'd put that inside. <laughs> Get my point? Because <laughs> that's the only way I can get in there is we love sinners. There's two kinds, lost and saved ones, right? 
Now, do we sin too much? Oh, yeah. Do we want to sin? I hope not. But I'm just telling you, what does that say to the world? We love sinners. And I'm afraid that's part of our relevancy is that we've measured ourselves among our, our irrelevancy. We've measured ourselves among ourselves, compared ourselves with ourselves, and we're not wise. Jesus Christ is the document of Christianity. If you want to know what Jesus would do, get in the Gospels. You know, somebody once said we ought to have a bracelet that says, what has Jesus done? And we look at the Gospels and we see Him confronting loving sinners, not casting stones, making sure people made it, opposing every system that would keep people from God. You know what keeps people from God, don't you? Religion. Pharisees. Samuel Shumach said, watch it, lest the, lest the converts of this generation become the Pharisees of the next generation. Thank God I could go to that church, but I'd want the sign inside. Phil Yancey, when he was writing the book called Church Why Bother, which is a great book. I have two great books that I love. I love that one, and I love Jim and Casper Go to Church. I'll talk to you about that one in a minute. But when he was writing that book, Church Why Bother, which he concludes in that book, it, does, it needs to bother us if we're not in church because we need the fellowship. But he was working at the same time in Chicago with a young lady who had come to the church where he attended that was in prostitution but had even been selling her daughter, small daughter, to prostitution. And Phil Yancey said the thing that sparked in him the pain was he looked at her and he said, Mary, why don't you start coming to church? And said, Mary looked at him and said, Dear Lord, Brother Phil, I'm not going to church. I got enough problems on my own. Why would I want to go to church? And it broke his heart. And you know, Jack Taylor used to say, So many people come to the church to get the Lord, but they wind up getting the preacher. If he's had a bad week, you're going to have a bad week. Roger Holly told me one time, he walked up to me at the back of the church, he said, James, would you do me a favor? I said, well, I'll try it, Roger. He was my neighbor. You know, I had to do the favor. He said, would you quit getting on to us for the people that aren't here? <laughs> I said, you got it. And I never did again. But we get, we get human leadership and Jesus somehow is a part of the equation, but He's not the priority or the preeminent one. And that's where we're going to find our relevance in our own lives is when Jesus becomes, I fall head over heels in love with Him. And He becomes my guide. We have to centralize Christ. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. Somebody recently told me, he said, James, I'm concerned about my church. And I said, what, tell me what you're concerned about. He said, well, I went and listened to my preacher last week, and I made a commitment on the way there that every time I heard Jesus or Christ, I'd make a mark on a piece of paper in my Bible. I said, well, what's the outcome? He said, well, he preached one solid hour, and I heard Jesus three times. No Christ, but Jesus three times. And that's where we have to watch about church becoming all about us and feeling better and psychobabble and you know, better this and better that. I tell you what, Jesus is not so concerned about my comfort 
as he is about my changing. And you know, Mark Rutland says, the problem with American Christianity, we have become acceptable of the defeatism of our society. Well, nobody can live it. I don't know. I'm not trying well enough for you. Here's what I mean. D.L. Moody said, God is yet to see what a man totally yielded to God can do. We don't want to major on our defeatism. We All God's children got problems. But we don't want to major on measuring ourselves by ourselves. We want to go to Jesus and let Him be the, make, the difference maker in our lives and in our midst and in our community. When people come in here, you know why people don't come back? I can tell you why people don't go to grief services. First of all, there's no place to cry and there's no place to laugh. A reason a lot of people don't go to church is there's no venue in the church and no time for God to move. I went to a funeral the other day. The guy preached 40 minutes. And he was on a sermon. You, you, you know, ever been anybody, I'm going to finish this sermon, bless God, if I rip a stitch. He was preaching his sermon. At the end of the sermon, I felt so sorry for the family. Three people got up and left. I have to be honest. I had to rebuke the devil myself because <laughs> I had my badge on as representing our sweet company. At the end of the service, this is what the preacher, now we're talking about how there was no place for God to move. This preacher at the end said, Brother so-and-so, I'm so sorry. I know you gave me five minutes, but I just... And then I wanted to choke him more. Because to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it's a sin. He knew he had five minutes, but he was going to get his thing done, his 40-minute deal. Oh, and it was good what he said. It was really good. Except, uh, you know, the ear cannot bear more than the bottom can endure at church even. And I tell you what, people leave whether you let them or not. Anyway, moving right along. <clears throat> okay, I'm going to wrap this up. I like what Paul said. We're talking about the relevancy of Christ. A lot, a lot of people just don't find that place to feel God. Worship here is good. That's our time to feel God. Fellowship time should be our time to feel God. We should leave church changed because we have encountered not a human being. Oh, the greatest... But we've felt God, and we've contacted God. And let me tell you, where that's happening, where people can feel the presence of God, they will go back just like we go to those terrible, dirty little barbecue hole in the walls because of those ribs. I talked to Robert Morris after he'd been to Toronto. He said, James, he said, I went to Toronto. It's the most pitiful building I've ever been in my life. There was a pole in front of me this big around. I spent my whole night doing this. Sound was awful, teeny, ringy. You'd say Jesus, and in the back, people are singing Jesus after you've already finished Jesus. You know, just terrible. But he said, oh my, I'll go back again because God is there. It's because people create a venue for Jesus to have his church. It's my church. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty those that are bruised, to declare the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus is still relevant to us if we'll let Him be our healer, our Savior, and our deliverer. That's what the church is about. Having a venue and a place where people can be saved, healed, and delivered. And the church is the only organization in the world that exists 
for non-members. Well, isn't it good to hear a baby cry? I love, I love babies. I used to wonder what to do with them. Now I just want to squeeze them, and especially great-grandbabies. And I, got a, I got a great-granddaughter named Brooklyn. She is so sweet. She's stout, and she can do about 15 hen carts. She's four years old, you know, and land on her feet. And so the other day, they were talking to Brooklyn. They said, I might have already told you all this. It'd be one of those uh, cobweb deals, but anyway. They said, Brookie, did you have a good year at school? She said, yes, I did. I said, what did you learn at school? She said, I learned more than anything. Cut it out and zip it. <laughs> and I bet Brookie heard that plenty. <laughs> oh, me. So Jesus is calling today. You know what he wants? He wants his church back. In my life, in your life, he wants that place back. And we're going to have to start understanding that the people are still brokenhearted. They're still in bondage. But let me ask you, if you'll go through the New Testament, you'll find Jesus did three things. Test me out. He saved people, He healed people, and He delivered people. That's His ministry. That's His ministry in the church. And we've got to give Him that place, and we've got to realize we can't do it. We can't build a church. If we build a house, we labor in vain. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And He's building it everywhere. He always will. But it may be a little countercultural, and it may be a sword and fire instead of peace and love and all this warm and fuzziness that's in the world. It may cause you to be like Benjamin Lay, and you may have to go to a meeting with 200 pamphlets and say, y'all, this is wrong. I don't know. I'm not telling you. I'm just going to, I'm going to encourage you to be totally radical in your faith, but be normal. <laughs> don't act like stupids, you know. Don't, don't pretend you flew down on a cloud to deliver the message. Just be normal and say, I got my problems, but let me tell you, this is a big problem. Don't be judgmental. Operate in the Word of God, in the ways of God, and in the works of God. Well, I'll close this story. Boy, I, I burned this up. We're, we're going to, white meat may just almost be gone, but I'll try. <clears throat> uh, this is one of my favorite stories. Back in the 80s, God raised up a man named John Wimber. He believed in what was called power evangelism. He would go out in the world and just follow God and won thousands of people to the Lord just by hearing the Spirit. He started the Vineyard Fellowships. He died. Uh, he had a fall and hit his head, and he died basically uh, what we call maybe like a pulmonary embolism or something, but it was caused from a fall. John Wimber was a big man. And he, he loved to preach in flowery shorts and T-shirts. He was in California. And he loved to go over to the organ sometimes. And he'd play a little bit because he was the organ player for the Beach Boys and wrote the song, Little Lana Loopaloo. You can look on there. John Wimber wrote it. And he'd go and he'd sing some worship songs. And so... I went to see him one time, and he talked about his, and i got to wrap this up. He talked about his faith journey. He said, I was an agnostic at the best. And said, my sweet little wife was saved and started going to a church in California. So I started going with her. He said, the first Sunday after we went, she told me, she said, John, honey, there's something you got to do in church. He said, well, I don't know anything about it. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. She said, there's something you got to quit doing. When you ask questions, honey, you don't know it, but you're cussing. You're saying like, what in the blank are they? What in the blank are they? You're cussing, honey. So 
ask me the questions, but cut the, cut the cussing out, because people around us look at us when you say, what in the blank are they doing? And, okay. Well, John Wimber was gloriously saved one Sunday at church. And I, you, you ever heard about, I had a friend one time told me, he said, when I fell in love with Jesus, he became my, uh, my everything. He was more important than my girlfriend or anything. Well, John Wimber fell in love with Jesus, and he was more important than anything, than politics or music or anything. And uh, so he started going to church, listening, and oh, he started reading the Bible, just wearing a Bible out just about every six months, you know, wear a Bible out. Oh, Lord, this is awesome. So one Sunday, we're talking about making Jesus relevant, okay? One Sunday, he went up to his pastor at the end of the church, and he said, Pastor, you don't know me very well. I've come from a real dark place. And he said, but you got to answer a question for me. He said, well, anything, Brother Wimber. He said, we appreciate you coming to church here. He said, when do we do the stuff? And so the preacher looked at him and said, the stuff? He said, yeah, where we see people saved and we cast demons out and we heal the sick and all, these, all this stuff that Jesus did. And he said that pastor backed up about two steps and said, now, Brother John, we believe in it, but we just don't do it. John was gone, <laughs> and he went out and created a place where they believed in it, and they did it. One time, uh, he was at the James Robinson Bible Conference, and he had blundered around. He wasn't a great speaker. He blundered around a little bit, and then he, at the end, he said, Come, Holy Spirit. People started. I mean, it was unbelievable. The ministry of Christ started, and, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about things getting out of order when Jesus is doing it, and if it gets out of order and Jesus is not doing it, then some good man or woman of God will have to stop it. Because some people are going to heaven, but they may run past a little bit and have to come back. So. But we've got to do the stuff for our community. Now, I'm going to demonstrate it, and I'm going to quit. And you may not like me for this statement, but I'm too old to worry about that. I've got enough on my mind. What was on my mind? Anyway, okay. Anyway, <clears throat> if somebody in this community is talking about suicide... This is what the church really does. Oh, you better get them over to rolling pills. I mean, you better get them over there. Uh, oh, that's dangerous. You, the church needs to be able to say, you know what? We're going to get our folks together. We're going to pray for your loved one. Won't you bring them down to the church and let us just talk to them? And we'd like, can, can we just maybe call them, have a cup of coffee with them and visit and take the, the ministry of Jesus to people instead of fearing the pain of society? You know why we probably have a bigger opioid problem than ever? Because we're not filling the vacuum in the human heart with the love and mercy of God. I mean, we all have problems. I mean, I know my problem. I'm not going to tell you what it is because you might tell somebody. We all got problems, but we don't, the church doesn't have to defer to systemic things in, the, in society. Y'all believe that? Because we're the body of Christ. And in this room today, there's all the gifts and anointings of God to bring life to this community. But we're going to have to be willing to do the stuff. And you know where we do the stuff? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word dwelt is mentioned five times in the Bible. And every time, I think Eugene Peterson got it right in the message version when he said this. And the Word came and started to live in our neighborhood. We have to live in our neighborhoods. 
It's not coming here on Sunday. This is a time for exaltation and celebration of what God's done during the week. The real battle is out there. But we as the body of Christ have all the equipment we need to make a difference. And you know what? If you don't feel comfortable in it, get you a brother. Jesus sent him out in twos. I understood that the first time a German shepherd got after us. He sends you out in twos so one of you like me can run and the other one can ward the dog off. So anyway, we're about long. Okay, so number one problem in America is the church has lost its relevance. Why? Because Jesus is calling us, and he's saying, if you want your church to be relevant, you don't have to give it back to me. And I'm not just talking about here. I don't know anything about Cornerstone, but I'm just saying, where I go to church, I want us to give, our, give it back to him. I want him to be the Lord. And let me tell you, don't fear counterculture and pressure. If you desire even to live godly, you're going to suffer some persecution. Manly Beasley told me one time, said, you know where to go to church? And he talked you know where to go to church if you move into a new neighborhood? I said, no. He said, go down to the coffee shop. Listen to the one that everybody says is crazy. And start going over there. He said, you probably find God there a lot more than those others. <laughs> I like that because at the time everybody thought I was crazy. <laughs> but we're not like that. Let's pray. Now I want you to say this. I'm the body of Christ. You're the body of Christ. I need you. And you need me. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this church, that you birthed this church out of just what we're talking about today, that they wanted to be a standard to our community, and they wanted to do it differently, and they wanted to give the church back to Jesus, and we thank you for that. Bless them as they move forward in you. May we always realize that we're not a human institution. We are the body of Christ, and Christ is the head, and he's building this church today. Thank you for forgiveness, for mercy, for grace. That, Father, you do not deal with us according to our sins. That your heart is for us and not against us. And you demonstrated your love towards us and that while we were still in sin, you made a way because Jesus came to die for us. Thank you for the way maker, the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great afternoon.